Stephen knelt there in that Middle Eastern soil, heart beating, adrenaline coursing through his body. He was surrounded by a throng of people, all shouting at him. Their words pummeled him and declared him guilty. But it wasn't their words that were the issue. You see, in each of their hands, they held rocks or, or stones. And Stephen knew that at any second, their shouts would be replaced by throws. And it wouldn't be their words that hit him. It'd be something far, far more deadly. Another man was there in the crowd, and he was also yelling at the top of his lungs, encouraging the crowd to, to continue their execution of Stephen. This man hated what Stephen stood for, and he hated what Stephen was willing to die for. This man was passionate about purifying his religious beliefs from this, this upstart movement known as the Way, some new devotion that believed that Jesus had resurrected and, and was worth following. This man hated the Way, and he was dedicated to rooting it out violently, if need be. And as Stephen's life bled out on that hot sand, this man named Saul nodded his approval. Acts 8 verse 1 tells us that, that Saul was there and that he endorsed this killing of Stephen. Saul was inspired by this violent purification, and so he went to the high priest and he asked for papers that would allow him to flush out any followers of the way and bring them into prison for, for, for torture or for, for execution. He was granted his bounties and he left Jerusalem authorized to terrorize any believers in Jesus he could find. But before his first stop on the road to Damascus, when a divine encounter happened to this man, he encountered Jesus, the very person he was setting out to destroy. This passionate, zealous man was brought to his knees as he encountered true divinity. And when the encounter passed, Saul got back up to his feet and found that, that he was blinded by what he'd just experienced. Three days later, his sight returns and he's surprised to see that he's actually in the company of Jesus' followers, the way. Saul, struck by what he'd experienced, now clung to this new faith in Jesus as passionately as he had persecuted it previously. He now followed and preached about Jesus and his resurrection. We know this, this violent man who was Saul. We know him as Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, the book we'll be looking at this coming month. He traveled all over the area, preaching and teaching and healing and, and seeing many come to Jesus. And all over his travels, he came to the city called Ephesus, the capital of Asia Minor, where he stayed for three years, three years in one place, just teaching and building the local church right there. Ephesus was a booming town. But nothing was booming more than the pagan religion of the goddess Artemis. In fact, there's a temple of Artemis there in Ephesus. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was 350 feet by 180 feet, just massive and beautiful. And the entire city revolved around Artemis worship. And the, and the temple was a profit center for many. Paul began to preach and, and listen to the effectiveness of of his preaching that God gave him there in this town. 
Acts 19, 18-20. Many of those who believed in Artemis came and openly confessed their past sins. A number who actually were practicing pagan spirituality, they brought their books and their texts and their scrolls together and voluntarily burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of all those scrolls and texts, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. This is the way the the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power in Ephesus. I mean, one drachma is is one day's wages. So 50,000 days wages, 136 years wages worth of pagan scrolls and spells were voluntarily given up for the sake of the way. This didn't go over well with the, the disciples of this pagan goddess Artemis. A silversmith named Demetrius, he gathered up some of the other artisans and other, the people who were making the idols and making a profit off of it. They were very upset that their, their cash income, their cash flow was drying up because of the way in Paul's teaching. They began to pick it. They began to shout. They, they, they marched and they gathered steam throughout the whole city. They got so worked up, they grabbed Paul's friends and companions in fact, Paul himself tried to dive into the riot to save his friends, but, but they held him back. His friends held him back because they knew the mob would kill him. When everything died down, Paul preached some more and then moved on. But he invested a lot of time and a lot of heart there in the city of Ephesus and those, that church and those people. And, and then many years later, we find Paul. He's now sitting in prison, chained to a wall, and he begins to write a letter to those people that he spent three years with. He writes a letter to those that he had, he had been through all these circumstances with. I mean, I'm sure as he wrote to the people there in Ephesus, he thought of their faces, smiling at some of the memories and, and frowning at some of the harder ones. I mean, he was caught up in the Holy Spirit as he was writing this. And one thing for sure, Paul loved the people there in Ephesus. He'd stood shoulder to shoulder with them through good times, their, their weddings and their small groups and the birth of their babies and, and through the hard times, through the, through the funerals and the disasters and the riots. But he wrote this book to those people there in that town, a book that actually transcends any timeline and also speaks deep truth to us now, here. And so today we start with this letter to the church of Ephesus penned by Paul. We actually started this series way back in March before the pandemic. And we got off track, obviously, when a lot of things happened that we didn't plan. But we feel led to go back into the book of Ephesians because it is challenging to our faith. It's building to our faith. And so we're going to read this letter that Paul wrote to this group of people, this church that he loved. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 starts off with this. It starts off with a typical greeting. They would put the name of the person writing it first instead of at the end. That way you would know who's writing the letter. So it says, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, after this this greeting, he dives into a letter that's called many people to, to deeper faith. But the book of Ephesians, it's not for like the light. It's not shallow. This book has true mysteries of God and it reveals the purposes of God for our life. 
It tells us about the nature of God and how, how we're to live in light of that fact. Ephesians calls us to stand up and speak out boldly for a God. Even in a culture that, that loves to worship anything it can find, it challenges us to follow God above all things through the good days, through the difficult days, through the valleys, the summits, even through pandemic and financial fallout. It teaches us how to follow God. And so we continue. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. I mean, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit to write this, gives revelation that, that we who follow Jesus are, are blessed in the heavenly realms. You, you, if you follow Jesus, are blessed in the heavenly realms. That, that the things that happen up there would happen down here in your life. That the love and the peace and the power and the wisdom that operate in the heavenly realm would operate here in the earthly realm, in your heart, in your spirit. So, so how are you blessed? It says this, goes on, with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Like every spiritual blessing. The Greek word here means every, all. There's no exclusions. Every spiritual blessing, and then it says, in Jesus. Now, now, if you have a Bible right there with you, I want you to circle in Jesus. If you have an app, highlight it. In Jesus, in Christ, it might say. Blessed are those, or blessed in every, with the spiritual blessings in Jesus. And this is important, in Jesus. Not apart from Jesus, not like outside of Jesus, not, not because you just kind of like Jesus. Not because you think Jesus was a, a good teacher. Not because you're dabbling in Jesus. No, every spiritual blessing is yours in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be in Jesus? It's the question right here, right? The question. It's what we talk about so often here at the Orchard. It's, it's those who have made the decision, the spiritual decision that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again. And we're placing our faith, our hope in Him as our Savior. It's giving um, ourselves to Him and being in Jesus. It goes on in verse 4. For God chose us in Him. Like, like God picked you out. And circle in Him there, in Jesus. Who's Him? Jesus. Circle it. For God chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. I mean, before the world had form, God in His infinite divinity, like, like He knew you and He chose you. You're no cosmic accident. No, no. You are divinely inspired. He chose you to be holy and blameless without sin. And now, now, you and I both know you have a lot of sin. Now, I have a lot of sin too. We both know that we struggle with sin. We see our sin, but it says here, in His sight. In God's sight, we are holy and sinless. God doesn't see you the way you see you. And, and that's really good news. You see, what this means is that in Jesus, for those who are in Jesus following him, that, that our sin is forgiven and God sees Jesus because we are in him. He sees Jesus. He sees us as holy, sinless. Verse 5, in love God predestined us for adoption through Jesus in accordance with his good, with his pleasure and will. In love he predestined us. Predestined. God chose beforehand. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus. Now, adoption is a covenant that comes with full rights. 
The adopted child doesn't like have an asterisk by their name or like a half member of the family. No, no, they're legally grafted in and they come with full rights to somebody in that family circle. Adoption is a covenant agreement that was actually invented by God. God in his unconditional love declares, in Jesus, all spiritual blessings exist in heaven are now yours because you're my adopted daughter, my adopted son. You have the full rights of God's family. Why? Back to the verse. We have adoption through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, circle through Jesus there. We've we've had in Jesus, in Christ, in him. Now, circle through Jesus. Listen, we don't become God's child because of our good works. Like You can't do enough good things to be adopted by God. You, you don't get adopted by God because you have a lot of religious activity. Not through anything other than Jesus. Through Jesus and in Jesus, you're adopted. And he chose you according to his will and his pleasure. I mean, he intentionally chose you because it delighted him to do so. So many times we think of God with this scowl on his face, just disapprovingly looking down at us. And when you begin to read the word about God's nature, especially here in Ephesians, we see that it's because of his pleasure that he adopted you in Jesus, that, that he wanted you. He designed you and created you before the pillars of time were even made. He had you in mind. And he called you. Through Jesus, he adopted you. This is amazing. I mean, it's painting a picture of God's nature that, that's often so much bigger than our pre-existing assumptions or something that we knew that we've forgotten to live in. Verse 6, so we praise God for his glorious grace that he, he's poured out on those in Jesus. I mean, in, in Jesus, it might say in the one. The one is Jesus there. Circle it. In the one, in Jesus. Because we are in Jesus, we receive God's glorious grace. Verse 7, in him, circle it, in who? Just Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. I mean, this is amazing. What else do we have in Jesus? Well, we, we have redemption. This is one of my favorite themes in the entire Bible. Redemption, this, this word means like to, to liberate by payment or by ransom. Liberate somebody who is in captivity by ransom. In Jesus, you were liberated from captivity by ransom. Listen, my, my soul was held captive by sin, but Jesus ransomed it. What was the, like, what's the price tag for my soul? What's, what's the cost for my salvation? What's the cost for your salvation? It's right here in this verse. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Our redemption, the payment for our ransom, for our liberation, it, it comes because he bled and died. This, this, this is the simple message of Jesus, that our spiritual salvation came at a price and that he paid it all. That's why you can't do enough good works. That's why you can't do enough religious activity. You can't have a, enough good intentions or, or choose your own mixture of religion. It says here that our spiritual salvation had a price and, and Jesus paid it with, with his blood, his sacrifice. Back to the verse, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. And this is glorious, that, that all my past, all my present, and all my future sins 
are ransomed, redeemed, and paid for, and forgiven by his sacrifice? Like all sin? But what about the sins that haunt me? Those two. What about all the ones that I don't ever want anyone to know about? Yeah, those sins too. What about the sin in my past that like, I don't even like to think about that one too? All sin. Jesus' sacrifice forgives all sin for those who come to him for salvation. Like, like full stop. Every single sin for those in Jesus forgiven. Let me read this verse that we just covered in, in a different trend, a version. It's called The Message. It paints this picture of freedom. It says this, Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are now a free people. We're free of the penalty and the punishment that was chalked up by all our many sins. Like we are forgiven and free of our sin, and not just barely free, abundantly free. Orchard, one thing that you might need to plant deeply within your heart as you leave here today is the reminder, the understanding, the reality that you are free of your sin. If you're in Jesus, you're free. I mean, either, either you're free or this book's a liar and Jesus' sacrifice was for nothing because he declared it so. And so if you're in Jesus, you're free. And for some of us today, that's the one thing we need to know. Because you've walked into your living room, you're watching this on your phone, somehow you are sitting here watching this and you don't feel free at all. You feel captive by your past sins. And you need to be reminded that Jesus, because of his sacrifice, in him you're forgiven and God sees you as holy and sinless. Now it's you that hasn't let yourself off the hook. But in the eyes of heaven, you can walk free. And so maybe today you can start to walk free in your own life too. Your sins have been forgiven. This is so important because though our heads might say that we believe we're forgiven, I just see all the time in my own life and, and, and others that we don't behave like it. Like our hearts don't behave it. We, we skulk around from the guilt of our past. We feel chained by the bad decisions that we've made. But the spiritual reality is pretty clear in Ephesians that in his eyes, you are free. And your freedom cost him a lot. It wasn't cheap. Because of Jesus, your past, your present, your future sins, they're forgiven. Because of Jesus, that file, like that, that whole file of evidence that declares you worthless and guilty and shameful, that's been thrown out of God's courtroom. He won't allow that evidence in the courtroom because it's been covered. It's been paid for. There's no charge brought against you that Jesus hasn't already done the time for. You're free. You're forgiven. And if you say, but Pastor Daniel, you, have, you just have, you have no idea what I've done. I'll just tell you, you, you have no idea what God's done for you in Jesus. Which is why it's so important to be focused here in Ephesians. Back here in verse 8 and 9, with all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will. I love a good mystery. And Paul writes here that God has made mystery known to us. The word mystery means like, you know, hidden things. There's a mystery in the Bible. 
But I want to remind you that God doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you. There's things hidden for you to find. It says, God made known to us the mystery of his will. Do you know God has a purpose for this world? God has a purpose for this church. And God has a purpose for you. Ephesians declares that, that God wants you to actually know the purpose that he has you here on earth. That it was a mystery, but he's made it known to you. The purpose of God in your life, it might seem mysterious or like, what is it? But it's clear that God wants you to have an understanding of it as you live your life so that you can fulfill the destiny that he's calling you to. The verse goes on to say that God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his, according to his good pleasure. Like he delights, he delights to show you these things. We have such a tainted view of God that he's just this scowling parent. But again, rich in love, he wants you to know his purposes because he delights in you. He wants to see you doing what he made you to do. And of course, he finishes verse 9 by once again telling us that these mysteries are made known to us in Christ. Circle it. Highlight it. In Jesus. In Jesus, the mysteries of his purpose are made known. The benefits, the blessings of being in Jesus are just beyond our comprehension. Paul goes on to tell the church of Ephesus that, that they're the, some of the first to ever put their faith in God. And remember, this, this first generation here in Ephesus, none of them had ever been to Sunday school. Like, they didn't go to church camp as a kid or any of that stuff. This is brand new. The people reading this, their parents probably weren't followers of Jesus. This is first-generation believers. But then he turns it to include those coming after these first believers, and he says in verse 13, and so, and so you also were included in Jesus when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. Gospel means good news. The good news of salvation is the message of truth. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul, again, being inspired and guided by God's Spirit, he writes this, and this part is just incredible to me. When a person comes to faith in Jesus, they're marked by a seal. And a seal is something we don't really discuss or have much place for these days. I mean, we have furry ocean seals and we have Ziploc seals. But what seal here marks us? You see, in the ancient days, when, when a king would have a royal decree penned, they would write a royal decree. It was his authority on paper. Like, like what the king said and what it was written down, that was law. And after the, the decree had been completed, it was rolled up or folded up, and they would put a dollop of hot wax right there on the opening, and the king would have a ring. And on his ring would be a royal insignia that only he could use, the symbol of his power, of his kingdom, the symbol of his throne. And he would place that ring in the hot wax, and it would leave a mark an imprint, the seal of his throne and authority right there on that decree. When a person comes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes the mark of God's kingdom on their life. The Holy Spirit is the seal that the contents within are from the king's mouth and the king's throne. So your soul, like your spirit, is divinely stamped with the seal of heaven. 
2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 talks about this. Now it's God who makes us stand firm in Jesus. I mean, he anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. A seal of ownership. God says, this one, this one right here, yeah, she's mine. This one, he's mine. And guess what? Like this seal, it doesn't tarnish or, or fade. No one can wipe this seal off your spirit. And in fact, you, your sin can't smudge the divine seal of heaven. You're just not that powerful. The seal is from the throne of heaven based on his authority. Ephesians doesn't play around. I mean, I mean, this is some deep doctrine. This is some theology. But these very first verses, this is just a firm foundation that you need if you want to build your life on God's call and God's kingdom. This is 101 Jesus following stuff that we have to get into us before we move on to what else Ephesians has to say. Because we're gonna graduate into next week's sermon about power that is just mind blowing. But, but we have to look what's going on here in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. I mean, first we learn that God created you with a purpose, for a purpose. That before time, before creation, God knew you, and he called you to a destiny. Secondly, we see that God, God wants you to know the purpose he has for your life. And the first thing God calls you to do, the first part of your purpose, you're like, well, what's, my, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? The first part of your purpose is to come to salvation in Jesus, to be in Jesus. It's, it's, it's the gateway to the divine path of God. And you can't walk the divine path unless you go through the gate of Jesus. You see, praying to receive Jesus, being in Jesus, it's not the final step. It's the first step of your purpose. It's the first step of your destiny. And then finally, we see that because of all this, there is a vast amount of blessing for each believer. I mean, he says repeatedly, in Jesus, in Christ, in the one, in him, that we are transformed and signed and sealed and delivered based on heaven's authority. I, let, let's just look at some of the mentions of in Jesus here. In, this, in these first 14 verses, we circled a lot of them. There's, there's a lot there. I want you to hear these and, and know that God wants these to sink into your soul. So listen to what the Holy Spirit revealed in Ephesians and what it means to be in Jesus. God blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. That's verse 3. Even before the world existed, God loved you and God chose you in Jesus. Verse 4. God chose to adopt you into his family through Jesus. Verse 5. So that in Jesus, you have forgiveness of all sins. Verse 7. God wants to make known to you the mystery of his purpose. In Jesus, verse 9. God is bringing all things to unity under Jesus, verse 10. In Jesus, you were chosen for God's destiny, verse 11. In Jesus, you were marked with the Holy Spirit, the holy seal of God's kingdom, a deposit for your eternal inheritance, verse 13. I mean, if a person could get their heart and soul planted firmly in those realities, life would never be the same. The vast depth of these truths here in this first part of Ephesians, I mean, this is unlike any other religion, any other pathway, any other practice or belief. 
You see, what was known as the way, this authentic Christianity, this is what God intended. This, this is, it's meant to be lived in Jesus because in Jesus, well, everything changes. Orchard, together, let's, let's begin to pursue this real, rugged reality of what it means to live in Jesus. Ephesians is a book that can tremendously transform how you see God and how you see yourself. And that's important because, you know, self-help books are everywhere. And self-help books, they can be useful. There's no doubt in that. But, but the danger of a self-help is that it often invites you to, like, start with yourself, to look at yourself first. But if we start with oneself, we start with completely the wrong focus. Everything's going to be out of proportion. You see, while self, self-help invites you to focus on yourself and view yourself first, God wants you to, to see yourself as, as he sees you, as, as he sees you, to view yourself correctly in the grand scheme of the cosmos, don't start with yourself. Start with the one who, who called you, who created you, who loves you. Because the way he sees you, that goes way beyond self-help. What Ephesians is going to offer us moving forward isn't self-help, it's, it's spirit help. And it starts by seeing Jesus more clearly. That through these next weeks, we're going to get a glimpse of the unequaled majesty, the unrivaled power, the the unrelenting grace, and the unconditional love of our Savior. That we're going to experience the unmerited favor, the, the unending forgiveness, and just the unshakable peace that can hold us through anything. We're going to marvel at the unearned blessings and the just the unsurpassed salvation that he gives us and the unparalleled purpose that he, he calls us to in life. It's a, it's a beautiful, vast thing. What Ephesians is calling us into is not to come and diagnose our spiritual weaknesses or strengths. This is not seven steps to a healthy spiritual life. No, this is a book that, to, to come and experience. It's a book to come and sink your teeth into, sink your roots into, to, to see the awesome character and virtue and the heart of the one. Like the one who had you in mind when he created the universe. The one who had you in mind as he hung on the cross. The one who loved you before you ever breathed a breath. Before, the one who loved you before you were ever alive. The one who bought you at such a great price. You didn't even know you needed saving. He, the payment for your ransom and your forgiveness and, and your eternal life, I mean, that, the blood of Jesus, it's paid in full. And for those who are in him, I mean, you are emblazoned, engraved, inscripted with the seal of heaven. God declares, you are mine. The very spirit of God resides in you as you reside in Jesus. Your inheritance, it's secure. The price, paid. And I wanna call you to, to fully dive into Ephesians as we go through this series. Step one, step one is simple. It's, it's being in Jesus. It's, it's, it's the start of your purpose. Everything else in the Bible comes after in Jesus. So if you're with us today and you don't know if, if you're in Jesus, 
Like God's calling you right now. God wants to, get, to forgive your past. He wants to empower your present and he wants to secure your future. He wants to mark you with the seal of heaven that will never fade. You'll be forever changed. And so the best way to start off a series would be to enter into a relationship with God, to be in Jesus. And then when you do that, all the blessings, all the benefits that we talked about and the ones to come in the, in the coming weeks, they're all yours in Jesus. So right now, I would ask you, if you, if you want to do that, if you want to be in Jesus, to pray with me. Pray out loud, pray under your breath, but, but pray with me, pray after me. Like, we're going to pray that, that, you know, Jesus lived, that he died, and he rose again, and invite him to come into our lives. And so, if that's you right now to, to pray, to be in Jesus, pray with me right now. Jesus, I believe you lived and died. I believe you rose again. Jesus, I give you my life. I declare you my Savior. Take my sin and forgive me. I want to be in Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Seal me with God's mark. In Jesus' name, amen. And for all of us, maybe those of you who've prayed that prayer decades ago or last week, for all of us, I want to do something together through this series. I want us to walk through this coming series in a very intentional way. So, here's your assignment. I want you to read Ephesians 1 at least three times this week. I know, it's craziness, but here's what I want to do. I want us to, to dig in here. I'd love to say read it every day, but I want you to read it at least three times this week. Read Ephesians 1. Don't read beyond it. Don't, don't go ahead and be cheating. Read Ephesians 1 and, and let it sink into you and write down the new things you see. I mean, you read it one time, you, you catch this many in Jesus's. The next one, you catch these many. Keep reading Ephesians 1 and just glean everything you can out of there. Write down questions, everything you can think of. Orchard, this, this is step one in a series that's really going to challenge us to grow up spiritually. Ephesians isn't bottle-fed. I mean, this is spiritual meat that requires a fork and a knife. And I know, I know here, you know, especially Western Slope, Colorado, we have a lot of vegetarians and vegans. And so Ephesians is a juicy beet that you'll need a fork and knife for. How's that? Like, it, it's not spiritual milk or bottle-fed. We're going to have to, to get into this and sink our teeth into it. So read Ephesians 1 all throughout this week. And the next Sunday, we'll move on to the next one. And the next one's going to be incredible. The next one is mind-blowing in many different ways. And here's the, here's the deal. If you're someone who's prayed with me today to, to receive Jesus, to be in Jesus, if you prayed that today for the first time, I really want to hear from you. I want to ask you to do something um, bold. And that's simply this. Email me. Or if you're on Facebook, message me. Whatever it would take. Just contact me. Daniel at theorchardlife.com. I want to hear from you. And, and, and to know that you, um, you prayed this. So I can pray for you, get to know you a little, bit, a little bit better. And beyond that, I know many of you are watching um, not just locally, but also nationally as we hear your stories and you contact us. I want to hear more from you. I want to know a little bit about you and, and how you found The Orchard Online and how it's impacted your life. And so if you're one of those people who's, who's from the East Coast to West Coast, wherever it would be, um, shoot, shoot us an email 
and, and let us know who you are and, and how you've been affected. I would love to get to know some of the people who are with us without being local. So um, shoot us an email on that. And if you have any questions on what it means to be a part of the orchard, or if you want to um, give to the orchard, you can go to our website, theorchardlife.com. Orchard, as your pastor, I love you, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying that this week, the, the revelation of what it means to be in Jesus begins to sink in as you wrestle and read through Ephesians 1. I'll see you next week. And as always, love God and love people.